everybody. Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Longhorns Podcast. Right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Cammy, I'm excited. Last oh, I'm still night, buzzing from that. Yeah, that dramatic ending. Last night, I, I mean, we're sitting there watching the game. We're texting back and forth. You know, and, and Doolittle for Oklahoma is going up to shoot the free throws. He misses them. They get the rebound, and they have to race down the. And I'm still just amazed that that Matt Coleman was able to get that shot off. I mean, oh, that same was, here. Did he call bank? That's what I need to know. Did he call bank? On <laughs> I don't know, but I'll take whatever happened in that moment. But like you mentioned, I honestly counted them out um, right up until Oklahoma misses uh, last two free throws right at the end, and then I actually assumed we just go down and put up two points, but. Uh, Matt Coleman obviously just absolutely lit a fire under that entire team with that bank shot three-pointer. But that was just an incredible way to extend their impressive uh, win streak to five. I mean, obviously they have some magic surrounding them right now. But um, if you can't tell, we're obviously very excited that Texas beat Oklahoma in dramatic fashion. Um, The score is actually 52-51. And I know Patrick and I have been talking a lot about Andrew Jones recently because of his career high 22 points that he put up against West Virginia and Texas Tech. But like we mentioned, it was actually Matt Coleman who stepped up against Oklahoma last night with 21 points and went 9 for 15. Uh, just the way the game had been going, that's exactly whose hands I wanted the ball in for that last possession. But, Patrick, what were a few of your takeaways from this game? Oh, man, you talk about the funniest. Let me just – I'm going to go straight to the ending real quick. <laughs> when you talk about – the shooting of free throws and the fans there in Norman are chanting Texas sucks. And they just run down and hit the three. I mean, talk about karma, right? I mean, just that, that's well, a punch right in the gut. Well, you know, it couldn't have happened to a better opponent. We can, we can say that. Yeah, I mean, it's always like we've talked about time and time again. It's always a great time, you know, when, when Oklahoma loses. Uh, talk about getting on the boards. You know, Royce Ham, he had that monster block uh, to stop the the uh, alley-oop attempt. Uh, comes away with 11 boards. Brock Cunningham, I mean, that guy is Mr. Energy. You know, he came off the bench. You know, he only scored eight points in the game, but 11 rebounds. He had, you know, had a steal, had an assist. Uh, he was getting in on the – he actually led the team in offensive boards. So, you know, you just talk about those guys just getting involved. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a bad shooting night for you know guys like Andrew Jones, Kai Jones, Courtney Ramey had a terrible game. He's barely been good last few, but uh, you know, there's just some nights when you don't have it, and last night wasn't his night. Uh, you know, but I and I, I was kind of worried because of Texas has lived by the three and died by the three so much that um, you know it, it's tough to know which team you're going to get. And unfortunately it was more die by the three up until that last three pointer shot. They only shot 29% from the floor behind the arc. Uh, but I think their saving grace was the fact that Oklahoma was so much worse than them shooting behind the arc. They took 20 shots last night, made two. They were led by their, you know, their senior Doolittle, who, you know, in his final home game has to go out on the losing end of it. Uh, you know, but, I mean, he put in he put in a double double. He put in his efforts. You know, he got the boards. Unfortunately for him, 
missing those final two three free throws really hurt him. Uh, but you know, let, let's talk about Matt Coleman, right? Um, you know, he's three for five from three point land. Uh, he shot nine for 15 from the floor. Does 21 points, led all scores, including the big three. Uh, you know, three rebounds. You know, he had a steal, a couple assists. I mean, you really can't say enough good things about Matt Coleman and what he was able to do last night against the Sooners. Oh, I agree. Like I mentioned, um, just the way the game had been going, you have to give it to uh, who's feeling hot, and that was definitely Coleman at the end. It was definitely Coleman. So, you know, that was like the big aspect of the the big part of the why they won that game. And, and you know, you just it, – it seems like it's been a different hero the last few nights. And that's – I think that's what I love most about this team right now is the fact that you're not getting the same guy leading the team every night. You know, yeah, you had a couple of nights where it was uh, Andrew Jones posting career highs and 22 points or it – you know, it, so much so that it earned him Big 12 Player of the Week. And then Courtney Ramey was getting involved. And then now, you know, I think Coleman's feeling better with that. He had that injured heel that he dealt with. But, you know, he's coming back, you know, and, and then he showed it. So it's like a different guy. You know, like I said, Royce Ham was, you know, he was big early on. He took that shot to the face, had to leave the game for a little bit. But he came back out. You know, so, I mean, just up and down. And the fact that they're doing it with so many guys injured, you know, Jericho Sims, and I want to apologize for him. I called him Smith on the last podcast. My apologies. Jericho Sims, he had the um, uh, he has the back issue. He's out. Febris is gone for the year. He's having surgery on his knee. You know, so, I mean, and then Coleman was hurt at one point. You know, so it's just like it's everybody's rallied around him and, I think it's funny. Everybody says that uh, Shaka Smart has nine lives, and I kind of believe it. You know, after two and a half weeks ago, we're talking about who's going to be the next head coach, and now we're talking about the fact that it looks like Shaka Smart is leading this team back to the NCAA tournament for the third time in five years. I know, and this is the exact type of energy you want to bring into that type of tournament. So uh, they're peaking at the right time. Yeah, absolutely they are peaking at the right time. You know, the great part about it is the fact that um, that it had such a March Madness feeling in this game. You know, things weren't going your way. You're fighting and clawing. You stay in the game. You know, so you really have to tip your cap to what they were able to do in that game. And and now, you know, you got one game left. You know, so on Saturday at the Frank Irwin Center there in Austin. Oklahoma State come to town, final game of the year, regular season before they get ready for the Big 12 tournament. And I really hope that the fans show up and have that place rocking for the final game, send the seniors out on a high note uh, before they go into the Big 12 tournament and hopefully make some noise in that tournament. Yeah, and honestly, doesn't it seem like yesterday when there's absolutely no one at the Texas games? I'm curious to see the attendance rate tomorrow. Yeah, and you know, it's, well, Saturday, not tomorrow, technically, but Saturday, their next yeah. home game, yeah. Yeah, Saturday, it would be it would be huge, and I'm you know I'm really looking forward to it, uh, seeing what the what the Longhorns faithful, how are they going to come out, how are they going to celebrate? You know, there's so many guys up and down this team, you know, some of the senior guys uh, could be the last time that you know you see Andrew Jones. You know, he's a senior, you know, so you know send those guys out you know, in the right way 
And, you know, but I mean, what, what, I want to know what it is about this team that just allowed them to go on that five game run. You know, that was a huge part of it, but, you know, and we're, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about this, but coming up next, I kind of want to get into a little bit of NFL talk and a little bit of college recruiting talk. To me, I'd take him on my team in a heartbeat, but um, there's rumors that he could be going to the Cleveland Browns, which I don't think would be a bad move for them. I think, obviously, Colt is an experienced, uh, high-character type of guy that could back up Baker Mayfield and probably um, help him with some development and growth. Um, But I've always kind of thought Colt could be a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. He just can never seem to stay healthy. Um, He had a pretty decent year with um, the yeah, the Browns in 2011 when he threw for a little over 2,700 yards, he turned the ball over quite a bit. But um, other than that, he kind of only got um, a decent amount of starting time with the Redskins in 2014. So he really hasn't had um, too much playing time, I would say. But in terms of a backup quarterback, I don't think you can ask for someone better. Yeah, no, I don't think you can either. Um, you know, obviously the rumors that were floating around there. Um, they were floating around there at up in Indianapolis during the combine, and that's where the kind of the news was coming from. You know, Colt McCoy going back to the the Cleveland Browns, where he started his NFL career for his first three years out of Texas. Um, you know, he was a third round pick, leaves there, he goes spends a year in San Francisco, and then in 2014 goes to Washington, where he played. You know, every year up until this past season. Um, he said he wasn't going back to Washington. So, you know, now you look at Cleveland. Um, and I think you're right, you know, with there's a new head coach there in Kevin Stefanski. Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions surrounding, you know, how well Baker Mayfield's going to do. And I think you're right on that he needs a quality, high-character guy to back him up. So I think that you know, that would be a really good move for Colt. You know, if, if that's where he's slated to go, that's a good spot. I think, you know, you talk about a guy who, you know, I have never, and you can back me up on this, I have never heard a negative story about the guy. I mean, you talk uh, about everything he did at Texas and then, um, you know, and even in the NFL, I've never heard a, a negative story about him. Right. He's a great teammate. He's a great man on and off the field. Um, he's he's pretty comfortable in the backup quarterback role, which I think um, is something Baker Mayfield would need. But I was just thinking about this one. It's kind of weird that um, a sooner because obviously they're always going back and forth uh, between our rivalry. But um, that should be pretty interesting to see how they um, become teammates and friends and things like that. But um I was also thinking Baker kind of had a down year last year, like we saw, and I don't think they're going to abandon ship with Baker anytime soon, but um, we obviously know how fast injuries happen in the NFL and things like that. Or if Baker has another down year, things like that, maybe Colt has that potential um, to start for them a year or two. But um, I think honestly, Cleveland, the more that I think about it would be a perfect landing spot for Colt. Yeah, you're you're right about that. But I also think if you and I don't really want to get into too much Browns talk. I mean, but um, I think a lot of the reason why Baker had such a hard time last year was because of the head coach Freddie Kitchens. Uh, you know, I just think that was a bad fit all the way around. 
Um, and, you know, and it caused explosions on the sidelines. It seemed like it, it was a lot of drama there in Cleveland. So, you know, it's – I'm not going to say it was all on Baker, but, you know, obviously he could do better. And so it's a good fit. I, I love the idea of him going back to Cleveland to finish out his career. Um, you know, he's going to be 34 by the time the season kicks off. Uh, so it's it's probably nearing the end of for his career. Um, so it would be a good spot, you know, just kind of be the backup, carry the clipboard, help him out, help try to help develop, and then, um, you know, and, and hopefully finish out his career. And then who knows, maybe we'll – We'll be talking soon about Colt McCoy going into the College Football Hall of Fame, but before he can do that, he's got to wrap up his NFL career. So let's now go into a little bit of recruiting talk. Uh, so you have an update on Jatavion Sanders. Yes. So um, first of all, Jatavion Sanders is in the 2021 class. He's now for sure. Um, the Longhorns' highest-rated prospect, but he was actually just bumped up from a four-star to a five-star. So according to 24-7 Sports, uh, Sanders is now the number one athlete in the nation and the number one, number 21, actually, overall prospect. Um, but like we mentioned, he's the only five-star recruit in the 2021 class, but we also just signed Alfred Collins in the 2020 class, the defensive lineman. But uh, prior to that, it was Malcolm Brown, I believe, in was it that 2013, the last defensive lineman that was a five-star signed in the Big 12. So um, Texas is on a good roll with, um, obviously, two recruiting classes signing five-star defensive linemen. Uh, but yeah, he was just bumped up. But the 2021 class is strong. I mean, it includes, actually, Sanders' teammate, four-star um, athlete Billy Bowman. Um, we also have four-star quarterback Jalen Milrow in that class. So I think head coach Tom Herman is on pace for another top 10 class, but I actually think the 2021 class, by the time it's all said and done, will actually be ranked higher than this 2020 class. You know, it's funny that you bring up uh, Jutavion being the number one listed athlete. Obviously, I think he's probably going to end up playing, you know, defensive end. Uh, It's funny because the number two athlete in the country Oh, that would be his teammate, Billy Bowman, who is also, you know, like you said, uh, committed to play his football at the University of Texas, you know, choosing Texas over, you know, teams like Alabama. So, you know, he's really high about coming here. He's a a wide receiver, punt returner, plays some, you know, defensive back. He's pretty much an all-around athlete. But I just – I think it's funny that they have both of the top two athletes in this coming class coming to Texas. Oh, I agree. And that has to be pretty fun for them, huh? I think that would be awesome having like one of your great teammates along with you for the ride. But um, yeah, it was also funny. I was reading up on why they're considering him an athlete and things like that. And um, I mean, he's six, three and a half, 220 pound. He's a playmaker. He played both ways at Denton Ryan here in first team all district at defensive end. But he was also a pretty decent wide receiver. I mean, he had 47 receptions for 763 yards and seven touchdowns. So um I can see why he's labeled as that, obviously, uh, by his high school career. But he's definitely going to be a defensive lineman by his frame in in college, at least. Yeah, I mean, if you pay attention to the uh, 24-7 composite rankings, they have them currently number one in the Big 12, which they were number one in the 2020 class. And then the previous year, they were ninth overall um, and 
you know, right now it's early on, but they have Texas at seven. So, you know, they, they very much could be up there. And, you know, I, I know you talked about Bowman and Sanders and Milrow, uh, a guy that I'm excited about, and he's kind of talked about a little bit, but uh, Hayden Connor out of Katy, Texas, he's an offensive tackle. Uh, you know, he's not highly touted as in, you know, he's like a top 10 at the position or anything like that. But the fact is he's, he's a four-star guy. Um, you know, he's been committed since July of last year. So, uh, you know, he's going to be, you know, going to be part of that rotation with the new guys coming in. You know, we're talking about Andre Carrick, you know, Jake Majors. I mean, they got a lot of youth and a lot of talent right there, that offensive line coming in. Um, and then obviously you have Juan Davis, who's the other uh, hard commit. Um, you know, he's a six foot four athlete out of Everman and Fort Worth. Uh, but he's he's going to be a tight end, I think, is what everything that I've heard about him is he's going to play tight end for Texas when he eventually signs with the university. Yeah, they have some great depth coming in. You know what yeah. I was recently just thinking about was uh, that study that CBS Sports did where they ranked um, the recruiting class averages over the past five years. And I was surprised that Texas was ranked so high. They were ranked at number seven, slightly above Michigan. But, I mean, we had that um, awful recruiting class in 2017. It was ranked number 26. But other than that, we had a number 11 class, obviously that 26-ranked uh, class in 2017. Then we had back-to-back number three ranked classes and then obviously this past year number nine so um we're right up we're wired up with auburn clemson lsu ohio state um for the recruiting class averages over the past five years so i think that number will probably grow we should probably be about uh number five or six by the time the 2021 recruiting class is over but i think that means herman is probably um or well is on the right recruit recruiting trail I guess you would say but he's had some success there just necessarily hasn't translated um, onto the field yet but like we mentioned even in some of our articles recently that this was his one chance to reshape his staff so hopefully that all works out with him but it's clear recruiting is not one of his issues all right yeah I I think you're dead on and hopefully the new staff can kind of help him with the development and you know taking these top tier classes that he has year in and year out, it seems, you know, even had his high as third a uh, few seasons ago, as far as recruiting goes, but we're going to switch gears. We're going to come right back. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about Texas basketball and how it, how the bracketology looks. And then we're going to talk about the, uh, the new rankings for softball. Okay, let's switch gears back to men's basketball since obviously that's going to be the hot topic this week. But with that huge win over Oklahoma, obviously the bracketology percentages are going to be increasing. Um, ESPN actually had Texas as one of the first teams out or on the bubble. Um, Pretty much every national um, bracketology had Texas just missing or on the bubble. Um, but what have you found so far in terms of uh, recent updates after the Oklahoma win? Not even 10 minutes after the game ended, uh, Joe Lenardi of ESPN, some people call him uh, Joey Brackets, uh, he came out and said that Texas is in. They are the last four in. So that's going to give the Big 12 six teams in the uh, with autom- at-large bids. You know, so that, that changes the dynamic a little bit. You know, um, that win over Oklahoma pretty much just it sealed them 
um, as far as getting into the into the tournament. Uh, right now, Texas is tied with Texas Tech for a third seed in the in the conference, behind Kansas, Baylor, and then Oklahoma behind them, um, and then West Virginia. So it's looking pretty good. Texas could be third or fourth heading into the the Big 12 tournament that they're going to have coming up at the end of the season. Um, you know, I think it's big. They got, you know, six teams in, so um, you know, it's it's good for for the Big 12 to have all to have that many teams in in the tournament. You know, like I said, we've talked about how they were, you know, if you looked at bracketology, they weren't even listed and then they were on life support and then you know, in consideration for an at-large bid, and that five win, that five-game win streak. Um, you know, and this was the closest game of all of them because every other game was won by double digits. This one's just a one-point win on a three-pointer at the buzzer, essentially. You know, so now they're going to be talking about you know how far can Texas go, and you know now now the conversation shifts. It's not, you know. Are they going to fire? It was. When were they going to fire Shaka? Was it going to be during the season, or is it going to be after? And now with him going to the tournament, it's hard to fathom it. Shaka Smart's not going to be here next season. I think as long as he can win a couple games in the tournament, show some improvement, I think that's really going to help him with coming back next season. Uh, you know, I know probably fans were they were wanting you know, beeline or, or beard or whatever your flavor of ice cream is, right? And now it's kind of like, well, it sounds like he's coming back, so what do they do now? Yeah, that's that's probably true, and I think it still matters a little bit on in terms of what they do in the tournament. Um, I know they're riding this magical five-win win streak right now, which is incredible and something probably no one expected to see. And I'm actually really glad they got this Oklahoma win out of the way instead of relying on uh, beating Oklahoma State this Saturday. But um, yeah, like you mentioned, they're pretty much for sure going to get a at-large bid, bid into this tournament. But um, all I can think of right now is Shaka Smart when he was with BCU and made that Final Four appearance. It was so exciting to watch. They just had, they were on that hot streak. Everything was going their way. And it kind of feels like Texas has that mojo right now. Um, but of course, you're not too confident because it kind of came out of nowhere and they're dealing with a few injuries and things like that. But you kind of just wonder how long that's going to last for them. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. It's it's a question of, of when now, you know, like, um, when, like where are they going to go? How far can they go? And so that, I don't know, I'm excited about the tournament to start. I, I want to, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite times of year. You get to, to watch, you know, what goes on in March. And so what can they do? I don't know that they're going to go very far in the tournament, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where a team gets hot and, you know, they, they make it to the Final Four. I mean, we talked about Wichita State several years ago made a Final Four run. VCU made a final four run so you just got to get into the dance and then hopefully you can get some of that magic because uh, I'll be honest with you a few years ago nobody you know Tech was I think Texas Tech was picked to finish like seventh or eighth in the division they go all the way to Sweet 16 so it's a toss-up any given night and Texas is showing that right now with 
you know, all the these wins in a row. So, but I now want to go and talk about Cammy's favorite subject. <laughs> the only thing about Cammy, she loves her some Texas softball. What are I the did. latest rankings? Yeah, they're actually just hard not to love right now. You know, I'm a football girl, but I have a sweet spot for Texas softball right now. But um, they're actually, they just received their first number one ranking uh, for the first time since 2006. Softball America actually put them at the number one spot in their poll. And ESPN actually has them at the number two spot. And USA Today has them currently sitting at the number three spot. And this has kind of been a debate of ours uh, throughout the past week on where we thought Texas would fall in these polls just due to them defeating UCLA and Washington on the road. Um, I know they had an unranked loss to Fresno State, um, Duke, about a week and a half prior to that. But, I mean, they've beaten four top 25 teams within the past week. So uh, we knew they had to move at least a little bit. uh, But I guess it's debatable with USA's today's rankings, leaving them in the number three spot. Um, They pretty much didn't change their top three. They had UCLA number one, Washington number two, and Texas softball number three. But um, softball America ranking them number one was absolutely huge for them and probably the most realistic of all three of the polls. I don't know how you can actually uh, put them below UCLA and Washington after they um, went out and beat them the way that they did. What do you think? Yeah, I think that... um... You know, that was a, a funny kind of conversation between the two of us. You know, where do we think they're at? You know, um, do you think they're going to be number one? I said number one because obviously they beat the number one and number two team on back-to-back nights. So that's why I was looking at it like, come on, there's it's hard to say that, you know, they're not, they're not going to be the number one team. And then, you know, they turn around and, and you know, they lose a game to an unranked Fresno State and then beat Boise State. I, I just felt like those two wins against those top-tier programs were going to put them over the top. And then, obviously, you have uh, – you know, so I was right. They're number one <laughs> well, at a poll. And then yeah, and – go ahead. I was going to say, if you look at that poll, they were number one. And then the other poll, they were number two. So we're both right. So I'll take it. Yeah, and it actually is pretty funny because the first one I saw was USA Today's and I was kind of disappointed. And then about two or three minutes after that, Softball Americas came out. So um, I was pretty much excited right away. But um, yeah, I I guess I was debating them being either staying at three or being number two just because of their unranked losses. But I mean... They also went and beat number 13 Michigan um, shortly after that Fresno State loss. So um, they're not as consistent as probably that I would hope, but they show up against the big teams. Um, We also need to mention junior first baseman and outfielder Lauren Burke um, played a critical role in each of uh, those huge wins for Texas. Um, She was absolutely clutch at the plate. She had two home runs um, over UCLA and Washington that came in crucial moments. Um, she went 11 for 24 this past week with five doubles and six RBIs. She got a big 12 player of the week honors. We also had the big 12 pitcher of the week, um, and O'Leary. She actually, uh, went to two and zero with 11 strikeouts over 15 innings. And she also is the one that tossed a complete game shutout to defeat number 13, Michigan. So, um, they're on a roll right now. I know they've had a couple of, um, here and there unranked losses, but, um, they show up when it matters and that's all that counts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, she's been fantastic and that there's a reason why that she was named, you know, Big 12 Player of the Week. 
I just want to mention, you know, before we wrap this up, the Texas Longhorns did fall last night to Arizona for their third loss of the season, eight to six. And they fell behind eight nothing through four and a half or three and a half innings. Um, you know, scored six unanswered, but over the last two innings, just couldn't get anything done. So, unfortunately, they lost their third game of the year, but it'll be, they'll get to get back on. They'll be back at the dish on Friday as they start a three-game set with Cal State Fullerton, who, you know, is a team that, you know, in years past has been known as one of the top baseball programs playing in the College World Series. So it'll be a good matchup for Texas to try to get, you know, get back to their winning ways that they've had. And, you know, so that's that was a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, you can't win them all. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Longhorn Locked on Longhorns podcast right here on Locked on Podcast Network. For Cammy Griffin on Twitter at CammyNG, I am Patrick at Pat Sports Guy on Twitter. And we will catch y'all tomorrow.